Hi there, and welcome to the Future Ready podcast, where we explore how to build future-ready organizations in a new never normal. My name is Arne Kötting, founder of Cozin and your host. The COVID-19 pandemic was a big catalyst for change in the already fast-paced world of corporate transformation. Many of us have now experienced remote and hybrid work environments, the rise of the new work technologies and perhaps even the effects of what's often referred to as the great resignation inside our organizations. But the new normal leads to more profound question than the right balance of remote and on-site work. What psychological effects does this mix have on individuals and how does it impact an organization's ability to innovate? Although all of this can feel chaotic and confusing, it is at least a fascinating time for organizational psychologists. Their task is to research team dynamics and provide us with useful science-backed guidance to help us navigate the world of work. With this in mind, I'm excited to be joined today by Dr. Lucia Garcia Lorenzo, who will share some insights on how to nurture innovation, employ well-being and intelligent leadership in the new normal. Lucia is an associated professor for organizational and social psychology at the London School of Economics, who has been active in the field for over 20 years. She was also my professor at the LSE when I was studying for my master's and someone I knew I had to invite when we started focusing on this topic. Welcome, Lucia, and thank you for joining us on the Future Ready podcast. Thank you, Arne. A pleasure to be here. Lucia, um, tell us a little bit about your professional journey. What brought you to the field of organizational psychology? Um, well, it was a bit meandering journey. It was, it was never a straight line in, in my career development or my interest. Um, I had, uh, since very young, I, I had an interest in psychology. So I studied psychology and was all set up to become a clinical psychologist um, mm -hmm. when I actually realized that uh, while you can do a lot focusing on individuals and I'm trying to kind of support an individual, there is a lot that happens in groups and in teams and in collectives. So uh, that kind of shifted a little bit my interest towards um, teams, group dynamics especially, and eventually from there I went into teams, uh, also realizing that we spend most of our life at work, it's at least eight hours of for day and it shapes the way uh, the way we become our identity and our context of development etc so I ended up being interested in work and teams and work and I have never abandoned the interest in in collectives and small groups in the what I call the meso level the in-between level where things happen mm -hmm. not not necessarily individual not necessarily um, the societal kind of level but the two together and that led me to pursue a, a PhD Uh, you know, and when I finished my PhD, I decided that uh, I had enough of academia. That was it. Mm -hmm. Never was I was never going to return to academia and uh, mm -hmm. set up of my own company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> set up my own company with uh, a couple of colleagues. So we had a startup for two or three years. And mm -hmm. um, it was called Future Profits. And unfortunately, the, the profits remain in the future constantly. So that didn't work, <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work out. And, and eventually, I found myself going back to academia uh, through a number of consultancy and research projects. And yeah, I, I have been temporarily in academia for the last 20 years, always studying these, these uh, interactions, interrelations. And I have a particular interest in change and how we navigate change, how we manage change. Uh, yep, yeah, I've been doing that uh, uh, ever since. 
Interesting. And now you're at the LSE. And funny, your name, Future Profits, it sounds pretty much like a Future Ready, our, our podcast. Yeah, so it's wishful thinking, yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Lucia, your area of expertise, and I mentioned that already, is the area of workspace and also corporate cultures. So one of the biggest changes in the pandemic that the pandemic has brought to the workspace was, of course, the widespread introduction of remote work. Mm -hmm. So what does the research tell us after two years of COVID? Are there any proven advantages or disadvantages compared to being at the office? I think that uh, in this case, context matters. And I think it depends very much on the industry. Okay, you, you have some jobs that uh, that are more relational, if you want. I mean, from teaching, which is uh, what I do, to to I don't know, a PR or uh, marketing, when you need to see and constantly engage with people, right? So online working mm -hmm. only. Uh, may be very disadvantages. So it is the relational aspect that you may need more the face-to-face -face contact. In other jobs, uh, clearly, if you have an IT job or you are an auditor in a bank or, you know, kind of online working may be just enough as you depend very much on uh, on working kind of with computers, say, or IT. It doesn't mean that you uh, can be completely isolated and working on your own. You know, I think that that's yeah. not kind of ideal. But so the, the idea of advantages and disadvantages, uh, some jobs have been put as a disadvantage and it was clear that uh, doctors, nurses, uh, kind of even garbage collectors, you need to be out there. You cannot yeah. work online. There are other jobs and those are the office-based jobs that, you know, they split a little bit into, into needing more contact or, uh, you know, being able to function perfectly well doing it online. So, and I think that the, uh, what I think we have discovered also is that it has been this very disruption of the COVID, for instance, that even in professions of jobs that kind of benefit very much from face-to-face -face contact, like teaching, that had, in a sense, engineered or enabled innovation. You know, mm -hmm. the fact that we were forced to teach online has unleashed a number of innovative practices uh, during the last two years that, uh, for instance, higher education sector universities are benefiting from. Um, mm. And it also brings benefits, for instance, for, for students or for kind of for clients, right? So I, I don't think there are clear advantages or disadvantages. I think there's a mixture of both. Uh, you have pros mm -hmm. and cons of, of the online uh, work. And then I think that if we contextualize what has happened in the pandemic and the work, I think that there are also other advantages and disadvantages, again, pros and cons, uh, for the context in which organizations are nested. Okay, we mm -hmm. need to be mm -hmm. conscious that, uh, you know, organizations are not acontextual or ahistorical. So uh, mm -hmm. it has been clear that, uh, for instance, the center of cities have been impacted because people were not in the office, right? So mm -hmm. businesses that had a business model of working and supporting office workers have, have gone out of sure. business kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, at the same time, it has been positive for environment. Right, so you know you have a more environmentalist there if people actually work a little. But there was only a, a short. I recently saw yeah. a study, only a very short positive impact yeah. on the ecological positive impact, and now it's 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 back to normal. Yeah, I think we are exactly. But 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 it it, it leaves the question right: what we could do to improve that yeah. area if we actually would work more from home, if people would be you know less mobile, um, in that sense. Yeah. I wonder, Lucia, is there any? research done on the impact of productivity or in other words are people more productive when they are working in an office environment or they are more productive when they're working at home i'm just telling from my own kind of very personal experience 
it feels as if in in um, remote work one is more kind of productive when it comes to number of meetings, number of emails written, so really quantitative in a quantitative way. Mm. Um, and I personally had this experience that I had a workshop recently with a client and I came back and I said, I was traveling to that workshop two hours back on both ways. So I came back to my wife and I said, wow, I feel I have done nothing today. And she said, well, hang on, you did, you know, you had a very important workshop today and it was good to have the relationship with the client, etc., etc. And I, I realized in that moment that our thinking is has changed. How we define productivity, like mm. it's, it's very much number of meetings and number of emails we are writing. Is there, is there any kind of research done in that area? I think that there's, there's a number of insights, if you want, that are emerging from different uh, kind of research uh, projects that uh, you know, I, I have conducted, for instance, with my master and PhD students. I think that they're still going on because the effects, I think, that uh, uh, are not uh, completely... Uh, and in many cases, I think uh, companies are slowly but surely going back to, to the office, but in some cases it, it still hasn't happened. But I think if I can... Thinking about productivity and remote work or hybrid work, I think uh, insights that have come up are that uh, actually people can be very productive while working remotely. Uh, again, mm -hmm. that kind of, uh, you rightly point out that maybe we need to rethink the concept of productivity and rather than mm -hmm. quantify and measure, maybe talk, talk more about the content and the quality of what we produce exactly. and, and how we produce it, how satisfied, how engaged kind of the employees in doing so, right? So that, that's one. But I think that that's one, one of the uh, insights that uh, there was this fear of lack of control if your employees mm -hmm. are away from the office and you don't see them constantly. They are not going to be working. They are not going to be productive. And in some of the research we conducted in the Middle East, for instance, some companies tried to monitor how, ma how many hours the employee was in front of the computer actively working. So there's this myth of control. What is coming out is what uh, Michael um, called the autonomy control paradox, that it turns mm -hmm. out that when people have more autonomy, you work harder. And that has been the experience mm -hmm. that many of us had during the pandemic. Uh, it was not a nine-to-five job anymore. I mean, people were no. kind of spilling over weekends, evenings, etc. Exactly. Et the, 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 the boundaries were completely blurring between private and, and Exactly. Work. So so that's one of the things. that This idea, the myth of control, that you need to see and, and have a surveillance of your, all your employees in the office, if not, they are not working. I think that that has mm -hmm. been put in question. Because in some cases, uh, companies actually increase productivity while people were working from home rather than mm -hmm. decrease the productivity. That was the expectation. But, but uh, Lucia, one question on that. I found this fascinating that you say that more authority or more freedom leads people to do actually more. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think is the reason for that? Because they, need to, they feel they need to justify that they're actually doing something because they're worried that their boss will think they they don't do anything or what what's the reason for I think in some cases what we found is that people start to own more their own projects ah, so the projects okay. become their own rather than someone and and because there's a little bit less control they also have a bit more leeway to be able to come up with creative solutions to contextual challenges so it's it's a little bit more difficult to just pop by to the manager in the office to to kind of you know ask a question how do i solve this if you're a bit on your own you have to solve your own and i think people started to become more owning a bit more their projects and kind of coming up with 
more creative solutions to problems that were happening there and then. So that was an interesting really kind of interesting. side effect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's, I mean, not in every, again, as I said before, context matters and not in every organization or in every industry that has been uh, positive. I think it's, it was more difficult for, uh, for instance, startups. Um, mm. When you have a startup and you have 10 or 15 employees and you don't have that many structures in place just yet, yeah. uh, that created too much disruption and it was a bit more difficult to coordinate, to do things, to kind of go. So that uh, the, the working from home and the hybridity and the productivity kind of decline in those conditions. So, But I think it, for more established organizations and more established employees, um, mm-hmm. in some cases that was a, a very positive yeah. effect. Yeah. yeah, interesting that you also mentioned established employees because I, I recently mm-hmm. also read a study that for new joiners or starters who were just recently after university started in a company, that was very difficult because they not only didn't have the opportunity to really immerse into the culture of the organization, but also really settle into a new phase in their life. No, absolutely. That was the other, the newcomers into an organization. You you don't have the opportunity of mentoring, of, of kind of developing your network exactly. to actually see what people... There is a lot of exchanges, mentoring, training that happens in uh, what I call liminal spaces, in between spaces that are not formalized. So if you work from home and every meeting and interaction you have is through Zoom or virtually, uh, those are structured, those are formalized they need to, they are in the agenda what the, the you know the the water cooler moment conversation the person mm-hmm. that you bump into in the corridor the ad hoc coffee or lunch that you may organize uh, mm-hmm. you know impromptu in the office that didn't happen and many people actually uh, not just uh, you know a, a new employees but uh, but also established uh, you know employees kind of miss that uh, mm-hmm. some people were telling us i actually miss the community to replicate yeah. exactly. to replicate that in a digital environment uh, Yeah. yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah. I think many companies try to have uh, virtual coffee times, so, but mm-hmm. it's very difficult to indeed replicate mm-hmm. it. Now, Lucia, we are moving now into a new phase, which is often called hybrid phase, mm-hmm. where we do have hybrid collaboration between people working in the office and people working um, from home. And I know that one of your areas of research is innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, so as an expert, what do you think will be the impact of this new setup for an organizational for an organization's ability to innovate I think, well, interestingly enough, I mean, the technology has been there for a while. I mean, it's we know that virtual teams have been in place for a long time, right? And the and the mm, telework, yeah. it used to be called telework, uh, you know, has been has been possible for a long time, but people didn't take it up. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I didn't take it up because uh, the fear was that uh, you would not be promoted if the boss doesn't see you kind of working constantly, or there would be this la- lack of control over your employees and you wouldn't be able to deliver. So there was the fear that, you know, remote meant lack of productivity and not mm-hmm. work, lack of improvement, lack of career development. Now, the pandemic forced us to do it when, mm-hmm. you know, the fear was there, but, you know, we were forced to actually do it and to try it. And I think many organizations have realized that actually there's a lot of advantages and a lot of possibilities that kind of the technology that was already there, but now has unleashed because people are using it, right? So this, mm-hmm. this new hybrid environment, I think it was there to a certain degree, 
But, but always it was existed not, in global organizations in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. I think virtual teams have been there. We all use email. Mm-hmm. We may not have been using Zoom or teleconferencing mm-hmm. that much, but it has been there. But it was not habitual. It was not normal. Uh, or, or the mm-hmm. mainstream, if you want. was during the pandemic, it became kind of mainstream. So, well, mm-hmm. uh, what we see coming is that most organizations will have some sort of hybridity uh, built in into their working practices. Um, I, I don't think we are going back completely to full occupation of office five days per week. Right. So, so that leads to the question, what role do organizations as a physical space play or also kind of physical encounters like workshops or, or conferences or something play to to boost innovation or ideation processes? I think in, in terms of, uh, again, the, it was, uh, as I said, the, the, the technology was there, and but it was not used. Now it is used. And I think that most people are, uh, are using it also to, to develop a different understanding of uh, of innovation and how we can innovate. As, as we were saying before, I think for the startups it may be very difficult because you rely very much on interactions and relationals or face-to-face or mm-hmm. being there kind of in the moment. Uh, for the organization, it may be not as necessary. Uh, in terms of the space and the physical space, I think that if you think of the role of the office, I was thinking that the role of the office has already been changing over the last yeah. couple of decades, right? From being more the uh, the image of the office was the cubicle and everyone, right, with their own space. And and that, you right. know, then open plan spaces and working kind of came, became a little bit the norm. And, and then you started to see the introduction of... of um, uh, bars in the office and, and bean bars yeah. in the office and spaces for relaxation rather than focus on yeah. and hot hot desking so no one would own a desk it was yeah. not your desk or your office it was more communal space etc so I think that what and that has been already going for, for a while and technology also enables us to to work in a Starbucks or work in the airport or work. so the, the physical mm-hmm. space of the office was no longer if you want necessary and the office became a place and it still is to come to interact, right? To, to kind of meet. So it's more mm-hmm. a meeting place rather than a working place. To, to the extent that in many cases, work doesn't happen at work, okay? In order to do work, mm-hmm. you have to go home, right? Because mm-hmm. at work, what you have is interactions, meetings, kind of workshops, mm-hmm. those kind of conversations, right? And I think that that's what the physical space of the office or the uh, the organization is is kind of developing into. I mean, obviously, it's different if you if you are talking about a manufacturing kind of, um, or, or, a, mm-hmm. or a shop sure. floor, uh, yeah, you still need that. Uh, but that is being automated, for instance. Those spaces are have more robots than necessarily people at this point. So, mm-hmm. but I think that that mm-hmm. the space of the office and the and the physical space, while it's still important, is changing function. Mm. I know that there is a lot of companies are around or discussing or debating around this question of, okay, how, what's the best mix between being in the office and mm-hmm. being at home? How many days at the office is 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 right? But for what I'm hearing from you is when combined rightly, it's it's it could be quite powerful. So mm-hmm. you combine this. When you use the office as a as a place for encounter, as a place for dialogue, as a place for ideation, and together with the with the home office for a place for thinking and 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 more conceptual work, it could be quite powerful. Even though some people kind of wonder what this makes with decision making processes when you know some people are you know some people joining a meeting where you need to make decisions and some people are uh, you know via via conference and some are in the room 
Do you see issues in this regard? I think there's uh, there's still something as we were saying before that cannot be replicated, which is those those kind of ad hoc encounters, right? In the yeah. uh, because we all know that in the meeting the decisions sometimes are not taken in the meeting; they are taken after the meeting in mm -hmm. the corridor or you know over yeah, lunch. Exactly. And I think that that is difficult to indeed is difficult to replicate. And I think that that's why the the serendipity encounters, the liminal, the, the, those are still necessary, and and those require collocation, right? In in the same mm. uh, physical space. Hence, the hybridity, the need for mm -hmm. the face-to-face -face encounters and while uh, not necessarily having to be every day uh, in the office. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Another situation that arose alongside the pandemic um, is the increased number of resignations from employees, mm -hmm. also often referred to as the great resignation. How do you make sense of that phenomenon um, and what's behind that? I think people had, um, for the, the people that we have talked to that resigned, people had a, a pause, people had a time to, to kind of to reflect. Um, mm -hmm. And especially in the US and in the UK, uh, the government, uh, you know, put forward a furlough scheme in which they are actually were paying some of the um, salaries uh, of people that companies couldn't pay for and uh, uh, in order to avoid mass unemployment, right? And, mm -hmm. and I think people had the time to not necessarily work and think what they were kind of doing. And I think that uh, more... What people are telling us is that more objective signs of success that they were chasing, like more money or the status or the title artwork, you know, suddenly took a back step. If you went out, they were less important than the subjective aspects of their career development, mm. engagement, satisfaction, kind of health. And in this pause that the pandemic allowed people to kind of reflect on uh, what was mm -hmm. more important. And in many cases, people came, came back saying, okay, there's too much misalignment in between the objective uh, aspects of career success and, and the subjective aspects. So I'm trying to kind of, especially employees that or people who were more in junior positions and you still have time to pivot uh, and you don't have necessarily dependents. Uh, so there was a big number of those people resigning, thinking, okay, I, I have to think this through. I still have the time. So, so is this them. phenomenon kind of, is it a, are there special age groups that are specifically um, impact or I think it's a more this phenomenon or, is, is a more, or, or gender. Is there a gender issue too? What we found is that there was more a, a, a regional issue. It's an Anglo-Saxon phenomenon. So I think it's, it mm. was more US, UK. Uh, in countries, I didn't encounter that in, uh, for instance, Southern European countries. Okay, you know, employment is, mm. uh, you know, unemployment is still relatively high. So people were not in a position to uh, kind of resign from a job that they mm -hmm. didn't necessarily like. Uh, but mm -hmm. it, it prompted many people to reflect. I mean, this pause mm -hmm. of these two years prompted many people to, to reflect on, um, you know, the balance, if you want, the work-life balance and what, what they want. I think that people were used mm -hmm. to spend more time uh, with their families at home, even with themselves, right? You don't have to be putting fires constantly. And, and that, yeah, you know, yeah. created that reflection. Moment, yeah. I was also thinking about that, and, uh, and 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 it reminds me a little bit like a like an onion. So so a job in a way is is like an onion, and so you have different layers. So you have task related layers, which is um, you know the quality of my task, the the area of responsibility. You have relation related um, components, which is like you know the the level of companionship with the colleagues, the 
sense of identity. And then you have also the situational components, which is, you know, the quality of the office, mm. uh, the time for commute, etc., etc. And to me, it feels a little bit as if you, in during the pandemic, all of these layers of the onions were peeled off, which typically kind of makes your job seems okay. And at the core of the of the onion, what remains has been often a job that's meaningless or mm -hmm. without any purpose. And I think many of the many of the main narratives that we're used to uh, hear about a job and what the job means exactly, and what career means, and what you need to do in mm -hmm. order to have a successful career, were challenged during the pandemic. Also, I think many, even many um, policies that were thought utopian. Uh, like the mm -hmm. furlough, the universal basic income, for instance. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, that, that was thought, you know, two, three years ago, four years ago, was was uh, considered utopian. But the furlough, you know, the government paying part of your salary, that's essentially a universal basic income scheme, and it was implemented in countries like the US and the UK that you know never thought of doing something like that, and with conservative governments. <laughs> so that that was an interesting yeah. challenge, for instance, of a narrative that we thought that would never happen. It's only Finland that is testing these mm -hmm. things right um, and it, it became norm it became the norm so i think many of those uh, uh, narratives being challenged suddenly you question yourself okay why, why is it that i'm doing this why i'm working yeah. you know 12 hours in this particular job without you know much joy and and putting yeah. my health in in uh, on the line kind of thing so yeah so that that brings really this topic of however you want to call that purpose or a transformation narrative but i guess People need something bigger than their monthly income to stay engaged and connected with the, with the company. No, I think that indeed, I think that the, the the race of the question mark around meaningful jobs, right, and the idea of seeking kind of meaningful jobs. If uh, you know, there are topics in organizational psychology and organizations, and, and talking about HR practices that five, ten years ago were not part of the conversation. And one of them is, for instance, ethics at work. And the other one is sustainability and the environment. And, you know, they were not part of the conversation when you were talking about HR practices and working, you know, ten years ago, really. You may have, you know, corporate social responsibility, but you were not really talking about sustainability and the environment. Mm -hmm. yeah. You would talk about, uh, you know, scandals and financial, but you would not talk about, you know, ethical behavior in organizations. Mm -hmm. Whereas now they are a center of the conversation. So there's a shift, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting. One of the other topics that's often not talked about, again related to this post-pandemic world, is the experience of, of stress with regards to going back to in-person work. And mm. uh, now you mentioned, you know, you're a, a psychologist and, 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 and a lot happens like on the micro, individual level and on the team level. And, mm. you know, a recent article by the BBC that I that I read addressed this topic of this rising number of people who are actually suffering from this social anxiety and from this, you know, this idea of, ooh, well, I need to go back to the office and they are real people. I mean, mm. I'm laughing now, but actually it's not, it's not funny. You know, for those who are suffering from this, you know, stress or social anxiety, do you think more flexibility with regards to, you know, hybrid or remote work is beneficial? Or do you think it, it's actually, you know, it's actually harmful for, for some of those people and some, you know, in other words, do, does an organization has also a responsibility to bring people back into the office because 
the impact of isolation, you know, mm. on a personal and organizational level is harder than or bigger than we think. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think one of the main issues that they uh, kind of emerged in the pandemic was the mental health kind of problems and yeah. epidemic, if you want, in which people who used to receive potentially support in the organization or in the community suddenly were cut off that support mm -hmm. and they didn't have anyone to rely on. So isolation was a big problem. And for people who have, after two years, have got used to a particular routine or and working on their own, going back to the office and to potentially all the tensions and politics and co conflict, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. that, that also represents mm -hmm. a big ask, yeah. right? It's, it's a big going, going back, not just to, uh, to commuting or particular kind of uh, stress, stressful hours, but also to those potential conflicts that kind of generate exactly. Of anxiety. Exactly. So I think that the the hybrid working, I think we, we have to remember that when we were isolated and we were in lockdown, uh, it was not only the office that was uh, locked down, it was also the community that was locked down. So yeah. for people being isolated, they were really, truly isolated. Whereas, whereas now communities have opened up. So the, the gym is there and the, and the, and the restaurant is there and the, and the bar and the pub is there. And the park right. is so there. it's the combination of yeah. professional isolation plus the this 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 um, private isolation that really makes this kind of toxic. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I think that the in a hybrid model, uh, um, ideally, what you would have is the best of both worlds. Right, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the working two, three days in the office, two, three days at home, however you want to uh, combine mm -hmm. it, uh, and having the potential of uh, distancing, for instance, if you suffer from social anxiety, distancing yourself from those conflicts or that kind of face-to-face, -face, more uh, immediate kind of need to react and to engage for two days, potentially at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay. and, and at the same time, the two, three days in the office will enable kind of more relational communication, engagement, etc. So that is, you know, counting on uh, organizations and most organizations these days are very aware of, of uh, yeah. well-being, for instance, and they have well-being initiatives. Um, yeah. and they, it's under the umbrella of well-being, but we are dealing, it's, it's actually dealing with uh, uh, all these issues. Um, how they mm -hmm. work or not is a different is a different matter. But but well-being mm -hmm. again is one of those topics that was not in the agenda a few years ago, but now is very prominent in in many organizations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I guess a key role um, in that context will will fall to leaders. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think leaders need to learn or unlearn in this hybrid work settings? That's, a, that's an interesting question because one of the things that we are finding that happened during the pandemic is that in many industries, uh, what um, what was emerging was a more a different style of leadership. If you want it was more distributed leadership, just by the necessity of distributing uh, the uh, kind of the responsibility and roles among people who were not necessarily collocated in the same space. Mm -hmm. So in many cases, uh, particular tasks were divided into project and, you know, there was a, a, res a responsible for every part of the project and that distributed leadership emerged. That's, uh, you know, it has happened in many organizations. So the idea of a less hierarchical directive, but more distributed kind of uh, leadership. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things. And I think what, you know, 
some of the managers had to kind of learn was to uh, delegate, to distribute. Yeah, that's one of the things. And actually to mm -hmm. look for, I think another another theme that is emerging is to look more for resilience, if you want, and rather than, again, that, rather than um, control necessarily. I think that that was a big one, kind of... Uh, looking for robustness, for resilience, kind of encouraging that rather than mm -hmm. both in the employees and in the department or in the organization, rather than for control and kind of management. Uh, mm -hmm. So can you elaborate a little bit more on that? How do you, what does it mean to looking for or increasing resilience um, in this context? I think the uh, the idea of resilience is to kind of prepare people, organizations to be able to bounce back when there is a crisis. Right. right? Okay. So, mm -hmm. and I think that the um, uh, in many cases, what you know, people managers were telling us is uh, we were just not prepared for this kind of disruption. Uh, right. It was difficult okay. for no, them to also, to also make sense of. So mm -hmm. this idea of preparing oneself for, for uncertainty, for, for the disruptions. Or for the unexpected. Exactly, exactly. So right. to, to make, uh, I think Taleb, uh, one of the authors, will, will call it anti-fragile. Um, you, you it's not so much flexible, but being able to, uh, to build in resilience within the system. Yeah, to be able to bounce back in their crisis. So you, you have a bit of redundancy built in into the system also. Interesting. So in this regard, it could be the, the, the pandemic could have been a collective learning experience of dealing with massive ambiguity and change, which might help us or help organization going forward in dealing with ambiguity and uh, and 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 this kind of the reality that we can't foresee things and things suddenly happen. And we need to react. I think that many organizations and many um, actually managers that I talk to, you know, they also, I mean, one of the senses that is taken in my mind is a manager kind of telling me, we walk, we walk over coals and we survive, right? Okay, we, we, you know, we have survived this thing. And actually, there's a, now there's a period that uh, hopefully organizations will have to kind of reflect on and say, okay, and we learn, okay, these are the things that we can improve and these are the things we can keep and these are the things that didn't work particularly well. Mm -hmm. I know that um, the sector where I work on, the industry where I work on, which is higher education, uh, is reflecting upon, you know, what is it that we can keep from this online teaching that was, you mm -hmm. know, unsatisfying in many ways, but it also allowed, uh, you know, me to bring speakers from New Zealand uh, online, which, you know, in, being in yeah. London, it would have been impossible, you know, physically and financially to kind of uh, do these things right. on a weekly basis. But, but the suddenly that opened up a number of possibilities that, although they were there before, we never thought of using. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So what do you think is the role of communicators and change practitioners um, to help leaders and employees or entire um, systems to navigate in this um, new normal to build up this resilience that you that you just mentioned so how can we as a as experts be it in the academic field or be it in the in the in the as practitioners help systems I think that uh, in terms of change and, and how uh, we, we tend to think of the pandemic, I, I have to say, we tend to think of the pandemic as a kind of this radical disruption, and it was, it was global, right? But there have been many um, changes happening uh, in the last, say, decade that have changed completely the way we work. I mean, we have not mm -hmm. 
potentially catch up to <laughs> what we, right. how much we have changed in the, in the way we understand work, employment, and the relationship, you know, with organizations. I mean, I think that since the 2008 financial crisis, uh, there's an increasing number of temporary wars. There's the, the gig economy that kind of boom. There's the, there's a number of things that have changed, and uh, let alone, uh, you know, many of the uh, societal changes that have happened, right, from, uh, you know, Brexit in the UK to, you know, Donald Trump in the US, the Syrian kind of, we have, we are in the midst now of a Ukrainian war that is kind of affecting everything. I think all that has uh, highlighted, I think, how interconnected we are, and, mm -hmm. and at the same time, how fragile our systems, in a sense, right. are, right? So, and I think that uh, being aware of those things, if you are a change agent or a communicator, being aware of those things and pointing them out, but also, you know, reframing them and saying, okay, there are opportunities for, indeed, without uh, uh, negating kind of the, the negatives and the potential risks and dangers, there are opportunities for reframing and for building resilience and for finding kind of ways to navigate this in a creative uh, kind of way. Maybe we need to start rethinking, you know, uh, you know, how to manage 21st century organizations and leave behind the practices that uh, we are used to, and but they are more 20th century uh, yeah. working practices. So they may not fit. And I think the pandemic and all these crises have, in a sense, um, made explicit that misalignment in between, yeah. you know, what we may need okay. and, and, you know, the models that we are still using. So I think as a change agent, a communicator, I think if you are aware of that and translate that uh, into, you know, what the particular organizations may need, I think that that's a very important role. Right. So important, important role, important time yes. for, for, yes. for practitioners in this field. So where do you see um, personally the big trends and developments in the area um, of organizational psychology? What topics or area of research excites you? Where do you see further work that needs to be done. I think there's a there's a big appetite for for understanding inequality for instance there's a big appetite for understanding things like diversity and inclusion but but the initiatives that really work rather than you know how to really truly implement and develop rather than kind of just using rhetoric and, and kind of further mm -hmm. training on. So uh, there's a big area that organizational psychology needs to get in, uh, which is the technology, artificial intelligence, kind of automation, uh, the algorithm, the algorithms that are being used to hire people, for instance, and how those algorithms are being, they are biased or, you know, they exclude people when they should kind of be mm -hmm. more inclusive. So there's a lot of uh, research that still needs to be done. I think another interesting area that I see potentially development is time and the management mm -hmm. of time. It's, we take it for granted, but, uh, but I think uh, uh, from how do you manage uh, your own li lifetime, from you know, maternity leaves or paternity leaves, or when do you retire, when you, when you get trained, and how do you manage that time, to how do mm -hmm. you manage the time in the office, because it's not longer regulated, it's not longer nine mm -hmm. to five. Right, so mm -hmm. uh, it so has- So more autonomy uh, in, in, all, in all aspects exactly. of the life for, for, for employees. So, so it's, it's looking at time and managing of time. time. I think that that's a, and my particular interest is in in uh, creativity and innovation. How how creativity and innovation with a small c. How how that process kind of develops from ideation to kind of implementation. And I'm I'm particularly interested also on, on entrepreneurship. 
both intrapreneurship in organizations yeah. and outside the organization because more and more I find that our graduates, for instance, um, are thinking more like entrepreneurs, like yourself, <laughs> setting up right, your own yeah. company. And I think that, that that's, a, that's a, in a sense, you step out of the traditional career path and narratives and, and career mm -hmm. development that we have in mind for employee yeah. engagement. I mean, you, you step out as, as, you are a, as soon as you are an exactly. entrepreneur, you, you, you end up with a different structure and narrative and, and identity, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So I'm interested in how that process actually happens and what's the consequence of that for traditional organizational super HR practices. Yeah, super interesting. I mean, I can talk, as you said, from my own experiences, having worked for, I don't know, for many, many years in, 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 in organizations, you sometimes tend to believe that this is the only reality that exists. And then you step out and exactly. you suddenly explore a new world and exactly. you suddenly realize, well, um, wow, there's the world of opportunities. Mm. And, and I think it's fascinating to ask the question what this means for organizations. Absolutely. Super interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, what, what can organizations learn from people like you? Basically, mm -hmm. yeah, from the trajectory that you follow and can, and there's a lot of um, uh, of uh, creativity. There's a lot of innovation. There's a lot. I mean, uh, entrepreneurs are nothing but resilient. Entrepreneurs are nothing but you know uh, creative and innovative and and uh, um, what you know. I was anti fragile. Okay, you are able to be flexible, but at the, at the same time robust. Um, yeah, I mean, the the thing is that you know when you talk to people who did do this step to make, you know, found a business and, and become uh, entrepreneurs, most of them would say, there's no way I would ever go back into a bigger <laughs> organization. So the question then is how, you know, what's the more relevant question, how to avoid, you know, from the organization point of view, how to avoid that people do this step uh, to leave or how to get the insights, uh, you know, incorporated from people who have already left and trying to kind of um, absolutely, you know, I think get that back or it's, it's a matter exactly of bringing them back, but in a different role. Yeah. You don't need to be a full-time yeah. employee. But but all exactly. this is presenting really challenges for organizations. I mean, many organizations have temporary kind of or or freelancers or there's more and more of that. So you have a different. Uh, you have like two sets of employees, if you want. You have the full-time employees and then you have the more temporary or, or specialist mm -hmm. that you bring in. So uh, that that actually is, I think, uh, more in the future, I, I would say. I think that that's, uh, that's presenting uh, new avenues and challenges that are worth exploring. Super fascinating. Yeah. And it's topics for another, uh, for another podcast. Uh, I'm sure we could talk uh, much more about that. Um, Lucia, thank you so much for your time um, today. It was absolutely insightful and, and very inspiring. And uh, good luck with your research um, in the future. Thank you very much, Arne. It's been a pleasure. Hey there, and thank you for listening to Future Ready. Future Ready is produced by COZIN, a global communications and change agency on a mission to shape more healthy and thriving businesses. Find out more at wearecozin.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review or forward this show to someone who you think will love it. My today's quote comes from Peter Drucker. The greatest danger in times of turbulence is not the turbulence, it is to act with yesterday's logic. <laughs>